Welcome to another edition of Tennis Swords, the podcast. My name's Chris Sarda, and we are going to talk about three issues this week of Tennis Swords. So it is parts three, four, and five. We get a little bit more clarity on on what we're going to do, what we're doing in this whole uh, this whole Tennis Swords thing, and. Uh, and and uh, get some more get some more thoughts in on on some of the things that are happening, um, the particular swords, the artwork that we may see, how that is flowing between uh, between books. Um, also, talk a little bit more about some of the the provinces in other world that we get uh, to know about, and just go into two of the. Uh, most popular characters in the X-Men world, um, Wolverine and Storm. So this is basically their their story, their sort of Ocean's Eleven. I always found that Ocean's Eleven was really good because half of it was building the team. So I think that's what we're doing in a lot of these, in these books coming up, at least the next uh, four, five, or six, is seeing how the the uh the group of of people who are going to fight on uh, in other world are are getting their swords so um here like i said we have wolverine and storm they both uh one one sword is very familiar the other sword i'd never heard of before um but let's start with wolverine now wolverine's story actually takes place over two issues so it takes place in his own wolverine number six and then X-Force um, number 13 is the second part of that story. So th- that's uh, the Ten of Swords 3 and 4. And it worked because, I, I mean, number one, it's weird. Because really, these books just tell whatever story that, uh, that you know, Hickman and the crew decide to tell it. Because uh, X-Force essentially is a Wolverine book. There's really, there's no other X-Force characters in it. Um, I bought the, uh, I bought the cover, the, uh, which the Fortnite cover. So there's a giant banana on mine along with Psylocke and Deadpool and Domino and, and, uh, Cable. But, uh, none of those characters are inside this, uh, second issue of X-Force. Um, although I was hoping that that banana would be in there. Uh, so let's start out with, um, first the, uh, the creative team. Um, so both books kept the same creative team. We had, uh, Benjamin Percy as the writer and, uh, Victor, Bog- uh, Bogdanovich as the artist. Uh, Matthew Wilson's the colorist and letterer is Corey Pettit. Tom Muller, of course, on design. Let me, let me make sure that, uh, we got the same colors here. Yeah. Uh, uh Joe, uh, Caramagna does the letters in X-Force number 13. That's funny. The only, um, the thing that probably is easiest, not easiest, I mean, a letter is letter, but the thing that's probably the easiest to do multiple books, that's the one that changes between Wolverine and X-Force 13 when it's the same, same story, but same writer, same artist, and that was good. I'm really happy they kept the same artist because Wolverine number six had a, a certain tone to it, which would have really, um, which would have really disrupted the feel of the story if uh, Bogdanovich didn't do X-Force number 13. In fact, the Storm story in Marauders 
number 13, even though it was a completely different story after reading Wolverine and X-Force, um, seeing the art in Marauders actually, um, it, it made me, it bothered me a little bit more. Sometimes I can like look past the cartoony art, but we'll get to that, um, eventually. So Victor Bogdanovich, um, draws, uh, an incredible book here and, uh, and, uh, Matthew Wilson and Bogdanovich do a great job with some of the colors and tones because this story is told, um, especially this uh, first issue or this first part, uh, Benjamin Percy tells the story in a sort of, um, a sort of dual, uh, dual mode that talks about the past and, uh, and Wolverine's what looks like, I'm not sure if this is, this stands up in the continuity, but what looks like his uh, original uh, quest for the, for the sword, um, or, and, uh, and then a, a scene that the whole arc starts with, uh, him inside of, uh, what looks like a lava in the hell forge. It looks like he's in a volcano, right? Coming out of the, uh, of the hot lava. And so it sort of tells, it doesn't sort of, but it tells a story in a, uh, in a sort of parallel manner, but it's, uh, it's sort of like offset in time. Uh, which I really enjoyed. It's one of those things where you're reading it, um, you know, nothing in any one panel is difficult to understand. Uh, uh, you start to slowly realize the color variations, especially towards the end, uh, in both sections. Um, and then, uh, and then when you get to X Force number 13, uh, it really hits you that, oh, that this is a, uh, this is like different moments in, in time on the same timeline. So, uh, writing wise, I enjoyed that a lot. It was very subtle. Um, but it was something that when I sat down, I realized it as I was reading it the first time and something that, uh, when I sat down before to do this podcast, something I knew I wanted to talk about, um, uh, probably in a little bit more detail, which I might do some of that if I, when I do like top 10 moments or something like that at the end of all this or favorite moments, um, I'll probably get into more detail on that. So we'll get to Muramasa in a second. In between that storytelling, we learn of a a new character. Um, that character's name is Solemn, and he's been trapped in a pit uh, for a either it was a hundred or a thousand years. I don't think it really matters on Araco. And uh, they're clearly he's clearly being chosen um, by pestilence and and war, uh, to be one of their, uh, one of the contestants on their side that are going to fight the Krakoans or the mutants in this case. Um, and death has a, you know, one of those suave attitudes. He seems to like in his little white page write up, he likes gamemanship. He doesn't seem to be necessarily after power. Um, he's just, uh, uh, he's just looking for pleasure. He's almost like a warrior hedonist to some extent. And uh, it turned out that he was not trapped at all in that hole. As soon as they, as soon as he realized that um, that he was going to fight, he just sort of jumped out and took his shackles off, and 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 that was that. The uh, the annals of Araco, the trial of Solemn. So this is this serves as a t- just a touch of a biography of Solemn, um, but also explains why he was uh, he was sentenced uh, to remain in solitude to the end of time. Um, but the, uh, so the father of Summoner, who we, you know, who 
betrayed Apocalypse at the very beginning of all, this whole Ten of Swords thing uh, was Bracken, and then uh, War is was Bracken's uh, wife, or Bracken was the husband of War. And Solemn may or may not have uh, been with Bracken, or they were just friends, or whatever happened. Uh, Bracken ends up killing him, leaves War uh, alone, and Summoner, I guess, uh, 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 some kind of bastard. I don't know. But um, that's why he was in there. So just that alone um, gives at least an opening for uh, an interest, uh, some interesting plot lines. Like who knows how Summoner feels uh, about Solemn. Um, War didn't seem excited about needing him, but uh, they did need him. He's He is going to be one of their warriors. Uh, and add up on, you know, onto that... Uh, you just have his, his nonchalant attitude. And, uh, when he got sentenced, they asked if he had final words and he said, oh, this is hardly the last you'll see of me. So someone that knows what's going on, um, what in X-Force, when we get to the X-Force scene or to the X-Force book, um, uh, there's some great, there's just some great pictures of, uh, uh, of Wolverine in this book. Uh, when we get to the X-Force book, we end up finding that he is, uh, he's in a jail cell with Wolverine. Uh, before we get to that though, um, I just want to talk about him being in a jail cell, in a jail cell with Wolverine and it's just Wolverine skeleton and the, his, uh, healing factor is, uh, is starting to, to kick in. But as cool as this scene is, uh, almost a Terminator-esque scene of, Wolverine's adamantium skull uh, on fire coming out of the coming out of the the lava and the flame as cool as that is though I've I've always been annoyed with Wolverine's healing factor I call it the Deadpoolification of healing factors but with with Wolverine's healing factor being that like intense like Deadpool's where it could just be a cell or he can fall into lava and somehow still how is he moving if everything got burnt off you'd think he'd just be stuck there and i'm normally really against the you know overdoing it in comics like worrying about like every little piece of science or something but um wolverine's healing factor used to be you know keep him a little bit more street level and now he's you know almost unbeatable it seems right so, but if he's only skeleton, if all his meat and sinews and muscle and stuff is burned off, how does he get out of the, you know, how does he pull himself out of the, out of the fire? But it doesn't matter. It was cool and it looks cool. Uh, the end of Wolverine um, starts a, a little bit of a, a theme that we're going to see through at least these two books, but I think probably through the Ten of Swords in general. Um... There's a breach, uh, there's a breach, there was a breach between Arako and Krakoa. There was a breach between Earth and Hell. All the boundaries were getting torn up. And in this mess of shadows and light, past and present, death has, had come, calling for us all. So there's a, a lot of uh, dichotomy work going on here. Um, in the next issue, we'll find out that marriage is in the air. So... Uh, X-Force, number 13, uh, brings the two storylines together, what I talked about at the top of this subject, and and 
and shows how they were overlapping. We were getting Wolverine in the lava. Um, we were also getting Wolverine like climbing a mountain and the hand sort of following him. And it turns out those were happening on the same timeline. We were just sort of staggered. We were getting, you know, we were getting uh, time zero and time zero plus three. And they were just sort of, they were catching up to each other. And X-Force, uh, X-Force number 13 uh, brings that all together. So the initial scenes are are action scenes, him fighting the hand and eventually getting into the Hellforge or Hell, depending, uh, depending who's calling it what. And, uh, and then he sees Muramasa like he does, um, at the end of Wolverine. And then you get something interesting, something that doesn't, um, makes me feel like this isn't just secret wars or, or a story that's a fighting game. They, they, two people appear in a in an environment and they must fight to the death. Uh, y- y- you turn the page after you see what you know him fall and see Muramasa, the demon version of Muramasa, Muramasa, and uh, and uh, he's Wolverine's on the floor. Skeleton, the sinews and bones are are uh, are reforming, but there's Solemn in the cell with him. Uh, you know, giving his little nonchalant speeches, uh, fight, wondering if he's unkillable. Uh, and uh, and uh, it turns out that his he has a little blade that he always had. He he goes to some oracle or whatever on Araco, and it allows him. It gets him into the uh, into this hell forge. It doesn't really explain how he got into the cell with Wolverine, or if the the little portal that he opened did it but uh nonetheless he's in the cell with wolverine um and we find out that he has adamantium skin um but they decide to they decide to team up for now even though they realize that they might be uh rivals soon uh, and uh, we get so there's a thing with the hand. Um, we there's a little bit more theme about a marriage. The hand, the beast is uh, the beast is one. All that hand BS that you hear. This marriage heralds a new dawn, a red dawn between human and demon. Um, and so it, it, it's a little bit abstract. But they both stab Miramasa with his own blades. So Miramasa made two blades, and in the melee, Solemn ends up with both blades. Um, but Wolverine did save his life in the, in the fight here. And, uh, Wolverine, uh, makes some kind of deal to get the blade and we don't get to find out about it. Uh, all we do, all we see is Wolverine narrating. I have my sword, but it came with a price. Only time will tell, uh, if it was worth the uh, cost. And then he goes on to rock slides corpse, uh, that uh, Pol- Polaris made, and uh, magic is still sitting there. So, you know, Wolverine traveled to hell and Japan and whatnot, and all this time, and and uh, uh, magic is just still on her little circle. So, uh, Wolverine's on his circle too now, and they're just both standing there waiting for the other eight people to show up. Um, I thought that this storyline was uh, really cool. This little mini arc of how Wolverine gets his sword. 
I hope that, uh, I hope at the end of all this or within the next couple weeks, we have three more issues dropping on new comic book day next Wednesday. So I hope that, uh, I hope that we get a a ton of interesting stories. We're going to get into storm in a second, but I hope we get a a bunch of stories as interesting and different than the Wolverine story was from the storm story, all centered around the fact that they're, they're trying to get swords. Um, and I think something else that's cool is that now we're going to just in the Marvel universe, we're going to have all these cool swords that are going to be important in the, in the, uh, like the sinews and history and, and convoluted world of the X-Men. Um, so we're not done with the Wolverine. We'll get back to it, especially when we start talking about uh, the provinces, but let's open Marauders number 13, which may as well be called this may as well have been called Giant Size Storm. This could have been Giant Size Storm. So when I opened part five of Ten of Swords, Marauders, issue number 13, uh, it sort of cemented the fact that the beginning of, of this epic event was, was going to be the story of how the swords come to be. With magic, of course, just walking up in part one, because she already had a sword. And then what we just talked about, of course, is Wolverine and the Muramasa Blade. So in Marauders, when I opened it up, and I learned about Skybreaker, which is uh, which is the original Black Panther sword, or the original Wakandan sword, uh, I wasn't sure if this had been in continuity before. I had to go look it up. I don't know a ton about Black Panther. So, I mean, I know it the general stuff, the Christopher Priest stuff and stuff, but, um, you didn't know if they were digging something up. Uh, they weren't. That's the first, this is the first appearance of both break or of uh, skybreaker. And, uh, and you, you realize that that's what this is. This is literally 10 of swords. We're just going to learn about uh, a bunch of swords and then how they're used. Uh, so each one so far, or I expect some kind of twist to it where Muramasa, we met someone, uh, probably who Wolverine's going to fight his actual uh, adversary. When we came to the Marauders, um, we get a sort of a storm that, that in in my opinion, doesn't act very heroic. Um, you know, it, it, w- the way she acted would have been a little bit better if, if for some reason she definitely wasn't allowed to take the sword. Um, but instead, it's it's just her sort of coming off really spoiled to me. I think when one of the issues that some people have with the X-Men or this new X-Men, uh, Hickman versus X-Men, is that, is that they don't seem like good guys or heroes anymore. And my answer to that is is always, well, they, they've become a state. They've separated themselves. They've, you know, they're not trying to necessarily assimilate anymore. They're a country and some mixed um, moral situations uh, present themselves. And I like getting these characters that I know, like Professor X, um, put into that situation, right? But for those people, I think one of the things that they can cite, they'll be able to cite as they're not very heroic and they're not acting heroic, will be this issue of Marauders uh, showing how Storm gets her her sword uh, for the tournament. And the, the reason is, is she walks up, and so all this is made up anyway. She needs a sword. Um, Black Panther T'Challa's not there. And so Shuri and, um, and, uh, and their mother 
sitting there at first they're like, well, we have no problem with helping you. We'll get you an army, etc., etc." But when Storm realizes for no real good reason, but she just knows in her heart that, that she needs Stormbreaker. Uh, she says that. And then of course you, you can't have it. Only the King can decide and T'Challa wasn't around. I mean, there, there seems to be a lot of openings where she had a little bit of patience. She wouldn't be uh, an antagonist to, to Wakanda, but that didn't happen. She, um, she just decided to move in on her own, and Shuri's not an idiot. She comes in and, and, and tries to stop her, um, and that doesn't work out. So all, all that would be fine in my head, uh, except for the fact that at the end, um, T'Challa does show up and then just says, okay, you could take it. You know, no real word. She loses trust. I put that in parentheses. But no real, no real reason for her to act uh, in the way that she did. So it, it felt like, it didn't feel like the best storm. And it certainly felt like something that, uh, something that people that, who, who this X-Men rubbed the wrong way. Um, certainly feels uh, something that they will be able to point to is is Storm doing this. I'd have far preferred it that she took the sword and and it was still against T'Challa's wishes. And that doesn't necessarily put the, the two countries at war. Um, you could still break the trust and, um, and and have issues between the countries. But instead it was you know, all for naught. The book, it, the book now in my head becomes a little bit more of an action book, uh, which is fine. Uh, the action was done well um, art-wise. The uh, only thing I didn't love about this book was the was the change to um, was the change to after seeing Bogdanovich's work and uh, and that style um, going to the the uh, far more cartoony work of um, boo -boo -boo of uh Matteo Loli was was a little bit weird for me um there's nothing necessarily wrong with it it's cartoony like i just said uh, but the, the the women's faces are a little bit too cartoony and and that's yeah, and i think i really just noticed this this time around because it's mostly women's faces that were uh, use the main characters as are Shuri and Storm for example and even um uh Kate Pride shows up in there, and uh, it, they're a little bit too soft, too doll-faced. There's a few, the few pictures of um, men's faces in there are good, even though they lean more towards cartoony. But that's a, that's something that I, I just kept seeing uh, as I was reading the book, and uh, and couldn't unsee. But with that said, that there's a ton of action scenes in here, like Storm going uh, uh, Mission Impossible style for part of it, you know. And, um, and certainly the dialogue and stuff was all fine. Uh, so probably one, I know I say, I don't like to talk about these in the context of like, dislike, but this is probably one where I noticed, uh, myself not loving it as much because of you know, some of the choice between the plot points, like it, just choose a side a storm, you know, if she's going to go all in, then she sort of needs to do it all in, but, uh, it can't, you know, you can't give her these ounce where T'Challa will be here in three days. Like, you know, she's, she's the bad guy. She's the bad guy, you know, even though she's the, the protagonist of the book. Um, and then just the, I, I just don't love the women's faces, but otherwise Loli does a good job here. 
and uh, and and it's a and it was an exciting book. Um, this one was four ninety nine, so it is a little bit thicker. Where Wolverines, I think the Wolverines were three ninety nine each, but they were two issues, so um, the per the per page uh, cost uh, I'd have to figure out because they uh, they don't seem standard or everything isn't necessarily the um, the three ninety nine twenty twenty two page book. But this sort of this entrenches the idea that we're going to have that Ocean's Eleven style uh, move where where uh, a lot of the story is the the collection. Where in Ocean's Eleven it was a collection of the team. I'm sure I can I'm sure I can think of a few other um, examples better than Ocean's Eleven, but uh, where there's you know the story is the collection of the team, and then you get the payoff um, when the fights or the heist happens or whatever. Uh, so I know this uh, podcast is coming out late. I realize that I sort of rushed through this one. I do have the new three new Ten of Swords books um, sitting right next to me. Those are uh, parts six, seven, and eight, and uh, excited to get that out uh, pretty soon, um, probably earlier. I don't have a real standard day because I keep I, now I've missed it, but I did want to make sure I'm trying to stick to uh, doing a a a full workup of of Ten of Swords before I decide what else I'm going to do with this podcast. So. Um, I just want to make sure we talked a little bit uh, about Wolverine and Storm. And next up, we have uh, Cable, some of the Hellions, and excited to see what the twists are there. Anyway, thank you for listening to Ten of Swords, the podcast. My name is Chris Hardy. You can find me at Chris Hardy on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And we will have a, a much more full episode uh, coming out uh, next week. Thank you guys for listening.